we were having some conversations about chapel a while back, and uh, um, one of the conversations with a bunch of you were having speakers who would speak to your heart and uh, talk about where you're at and challenge you spiritually. And uh, that's who we have today. Kevin Queen is a longtime friend, and he's a pastor in Atlanta. And, uh, um, but the big deal for us isn't where he's a pastor at. The big deal for us is that he cares about students, and he preaches truth. And we knew that uh, um, FNL was last week, and Infusion is coming up this week. And, man, who could we have in here that would really set us up spiritually um, for this gauntlet going into that, into Easter, and to the end of the semester. And so I am so grateful that, Kevin, you could make it out here from Atlanta, flying last night, to be with us just for this chapel today. And uh, we're a group of people that, that love God's word and want to serve him. And so as you come to speak today, know that that's where we're at, and we appreciate you coming. Help me welcome Pastor Kevin Queen. I am fired up to be with you. You know, I, I see God's hand on it. I know this is where I'm supposed to be because I was walking through the Student Activity Center. I think that's what that building's called. And I saw that you have a Chick-fil-A on campus. That should be an illegal recruiting tool right there. I'm not sure if that's known that you guys, you have a Chick-fil-A on campus. I love Chick-fil-A. From Atlanta, absolutely love Chick-fil-A. Got him from Lima a little over a week ago, Lima, Peru. Got back to the United States. First thing I did was find a Chick-fil-A, and I got a chicken sandwich, and I just rubbed it on my face. I mean, I love Chick-fil-A, so, uh, so I think I know where I'm going for lunch. Man, I love being here. It's first time to Iwu, and it's great to be with you. Now, I realize you had a big weekend. You had FNL. I mean, just things have been moving forward. Now, it's Monday, and so you're kind of waking up. And, and I want to start out this, this morning with an awareness test. I mean, I just want to see where you're at and the whole awareness of the deal. So we're going to do a test, and it's going to be up on the screen. So I want you to watch. Let's see how you do. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? All right, so you got an answer. Were you counting? I want you to go ahead and tell your neighbor what the answer was. Go ahead and tell them how many you counted. Let's see how you did. All right, now let's look to the screen, and you'll see the answer. The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? The reason I want to show you that video is because it is proof that we can get so dialed into what we're working on, so focused on what we're, what we're doing, so what we're counting, what we're moving forward, what's going on in front of us, that we miss something that is obvious. We can be oblivious to what is obvious. And when you see it, you realize, man, I wish I, would have, wish I could have seen that earlier, and now it doesn't really matter much in the moonwalking bear, but it matters in life with things like prayer. And I got to tell you, I've spent the majority of my life seriously underestimating and undervaluing 
prayer. Now, I realize when I say I'm going to talk on prayer today, there's a lot of you already kind of tune out because uh, there are many, many students, and, and you look at that, and you're like, really, a talk on prayer? And I think I, think I know why sometimes we tune out when, and we don't get real excited when somebody's talking about prayer because there's this sort of low-grade guilt that sets in. Kind of like when the dentist asks us if we've been flossing. <laughs> like we, we know it's something that we should do, but we don't do it as much as we should do, so we lie about it, right? And I'm not trying to get you to lie about prayer today and how much you pray, but what I, what I do want to do is create a guilt-free zone, a guilt-free environment. And what I hope to do in our time together is inspire you, hopefully encourage you, hopefully help you pray more bless you. I want to bless you today. That's, that's why I'm here. And, and, and there's something about, about prayer. Listen, Gallup did a poll, and they find that nine out of ten people say they pray regularly. More people say they pray regularly, Gallup found, than people who say they believe that God exists. It's interesting. It's interesting. You know, nine out of ten people probably say they floss too, but nine out of ten people say they pray regularly in the deal. And, and I think it's because inside of every person there is a desire to connect with God. There is a we are hardwired physiologically to connect with the living God, even if we don't know who that God is. And when you when you look when you look at our lives, you see that that we pray. There's a pattern of prayer. We pray because we're empty. We pray because we're grateful. We pray because we're scared. We pray when we feel helpless. We pray for answers on a test. Can I get an amen? Amen. We pray for test results in a lab. We pray for Jesus to come back before finals. We pray <laughs> for a job. We pray that she says yes. She prays that he'll just ask. We pray for our dad to be healed. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for strength. We pray for peace. We pray for assurance that we're not alone. On the way here, we hit some unexpected turbulence in the airplane, and everybody was praying. I mean, we, we pray because we're hardwired to do so. You read through the Bible, and you see that everybody prays. Since the beginning of time, people prayed. Abraham prayed, Moses prayed, and David prayed, and Nehemiah prayed, and Daniel prayed, and Ezekiel prayed, Ruth prayed, Elijah prayed, Mary prayed, Peter prayed, Paul prayed, Jesus prayed. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus Prayed. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, you see this pattern in Jesus' life where he's constantly pulling away from the chaos, pulling away from all that's going on. He had a pretty good ministry moving forward. I mean, things were happening. And he constantly pulls back and withdraws and gets alone and prays with God. There was one time things were really happening. And people were coming to, to get before Jesus and a healing, teaching, preaching ministry was taking place. And, and they, the disciples were looking for him. Peter was looking for him. And they couldn't find him. So Peter's freaking out because it's a big deal when you lose Jesus. And so he's looking for the Messiah. And he goes, he finally finds Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, where have you been? We've been looking for you. We've been going all over trying to find you. And he's like, we've been sending you text messages. And Jesus, you weren't answering the text. And I saw that you received the text, but you didn't answer to the text. And Jesus, we've been calling, going, it's going straight to voicemail. What's the deal, Jesus? I just made that part about text message up. That's not really in the Bible. But, but the point is that inaccessibility was the point. Inaccessibility was the point. Jesus pulled back. Because he needed to connect with the Father. And listen, you may be here today and you may be doubting whether we even need to pray. And I'll tell you, sometimes doubt sets in in my heart. And I wonder, like, do I really need to pray? I mean, if God already knows what's going to happen, do I really need to pray? But then I remember that Jesus, the one who spoke the universe into existence, that he prayed. And if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? Jesus had a pattern of his life in prayer. 
And when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something to do, they didn't say, Jesus, would you teach us that, that water to wine trick? I'm sorry, the water to grape juice trick. Would you teach us that? Because that'd be great at parties. Jesus, would you teach us how to multiply the fish and chips? Would you, would you show us how to do that? They didn't ask him that. Jesus, would you, would you teach us how to walk on water? Would you, I mean, that could be really cool on vacation with the family. Jesus, if you'll just teach us that trick. But when the disciples had a chance to ask Jesus, Jesus, if there's one thing you can teach us how to do, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because I think they heard Jesus. They heard him alone with the Father praying. They heard him pouring out his heart. And they never heard such intimacy like that. They never heard such a connection like that. They never heard somebody approach God the Father in that way. And they're thinking, if we can learn anything, if we, if we want to learn anything, it's how to do that. So Jesus, will you teach, teach us how to do that? Because I think the disciples could say, if you whittled everything down in the secret of how Jesus connects with the Father, of how he stayed in alignment with the will of God, of how he lived with this love and this joy and this peace, uh, I believe they would whittle it down to one word, and that word would be prayer. That word would be prayer. Jesus had this constant connection with God. And I want to give you a definition of prayer. I know there's a lot of different def definitions, some great definitions of prayer. But a simple one I want to give you today is that prayer is keeping company with God. Prayer is simply keeping company with God. And Jesus kept company with God. And when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father, hopefully you got that one down by now. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven. You know why Jesus began that way? Because he wants you to know you have a Father. Your theology of who God is drives your prayer. Jesus wants you to know that you have a personal father, that you have a perfect father, that you have a present father, you have a powerful father. And I realize when we talk about God as father that sometimes it gets jacked up in our minds because of our experience with our, with our own earthly dads. I love what Louis Giggler, how he put it. He said, God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of everything you long for in a dad. And when you see God for who he is, you approach him in prayer because you understand he is a perfect father. James wanted us to get this. And he had James 1.17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James is saying, your father in heaven is not like your earthly dad. He doesn't have move swings. God, God doesn't go back and forth. He, get this, his love is always on toward you. God's love is always turned on toward you. It's never turned off toward you. He doesn't go through mood swings. He's constant in the way he feels toward you. I was having lunch with a mentor friend of mine two weeks ago before I left for Peru. And he asked me the question, and it rocked me. He said, Kevin, how does God feel about you? I said, well, he loves me. He said, I know he loves me, but how does he feel about you? He said, you should get alone and you should ask him. When was the last time you asked God how he felt about you? He's a perfect father. His love is turned on toward you, which leads us to the most compelling reason I believe to pray. I'm going to put it on the screen. You should talk to God every day because he enjoys your company. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. God enjoys your company. Your Heavenly Father has billions of angels worshiping Him right now. He, he, the nations are like a drop in the bucket to Him. He knows every tree on every, He knows every leaf on every tree. 
And yet he desires for you to come to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to talk with you. One of my favorite passages is in Mark 1. It's the story of Jesus' baptism. It says, At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, and just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I love this because Jesus' baptism had special effects. You had the heavens opening up. You have the Father speaking audibly, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then you have the Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. Why did God the Father tell Jesus the Son that he was proud of him? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, fully God and fully man, being fully man, he needed to hear it. You know what? You need to hear it too. You need to know that your heavenly Father is proud of you. Every little boy needs to know their dad's proud. Uh, My son Durham just turned eight. And uh, the other night, I went to Durham's room, and he was about to go to sleep, and I was putting him to bed. I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, Durham, I said, I'm proud of you. I said, Durham, did you just smile? And he said, yeah, how'd you know? I said, because I heard it. Did you know you can hear a smile in the dark? You can hear the corners of the mouth go up. And my, my son, the instinctive response of him was to smile because he needed to know his father's approval, his father's blessing. And Jesus needed to know that too. And the father gave it, father gave it to him. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus wants you to know it too, that the father loves you the same as he loves the son. The father thinks of you in love the same way he thinks of his son. Jesus in John chapter 17, he prayed this. He said that we would grasp that the father loves us as much as he loves the son. Jesus prayed that you would, Jesus prayed for you in that way that you would grasp that, that you would know that. And here's what that means. There is nobody that God loves more than you. I don't know if you ever thought about that. There's nobody on this planet that God loves more than you. And so as you um, let that settle in, I believe that we would all pray more if we knew how much God enjoys our company. And then the second reason to pray, talk to God about everything because he cares for you. Talk to God about everything because he cares for you. Um, when I would spend time with God, I used to like have a little post-it note that I would keep next to me. Whenever I would be distracted, whenever I was praying, I'd get distracted. I'd write down these little things. I'd write down little things that would be distractions. Like I need to get new tires for the car, and I need to... Uh, I need to go see my grandmother, and I need, to, I need to send that note to somebody. And so whenever something was a distraction, I would write it down. Until one day I realized that those weren't distractions. Those were things that God was bringing to mind. Because that was the stuff of my life that he wanted to be involved in. And I was putting it aside on a post-it note. But then what I started to do is I started to write down on the post-it notes things that came to mind. And then I posted on the wall. It's things that I would begin to pray about. And God wanted to talk with me about those things. And God wants to talk with you about those kind of things as well. And this, this all kind of settled in with a quote that I heard from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I want, I, want, I want you to hear it. I'm going to put it on the screen because I want you to see it too. It says, it is not in his character to be unconcerned for you. The one who paid the greatest price for you cares for every little detail of your life. And that's just good. He cares for every detail of your life. Here's another way to put that. If it matters to you, it matters to God. 
If it matters to you, it matters to God. And so, so many of us, we have our spiritual life over here, and then we're like, then we have this other stuff that we think don't really, every detail matters to God. I want to share a story with you. I was, uh, I was getting ready for work. I know that's TMI, but I was getting ready. And I had, a, I had a thought that, man, I'd love to play chess. And I just kind of had this thought, I'd love to play chess. And then I started thinking, why haven't I learned to play chess? I'm 37 years old. And I remember when I was in sixth grade, there were some boys in class, and they were playing chess. And I asked them, hey, guys, can you guys teach me how to play chess? And one of the boys said, no, people like you don't play chess. People like you play checkers. <laughs> Which was essentially saying is, you're too, too stupid to learn this game. And so my entire life, I'd never learned to play chess because I thought I was too stupid to play. And I just prayed that morning. I was like, God, I'd love to learn how to play chess. On the way to school, I was taking my son to school, and I asked him, I said, Durham, I said, do you know how to play chess? And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's eight, and he was like, yeah. I mean, he's like, doesn't everybody know how to play chess? I'm like, who taught you about how to play chess? He said, Uncle Zach. I was like, Went through that entire day, and the last meeting of the day, I was meeting with a guy who was new to the church. We sat down. He pulled up in a Jeep, so I already had Jeep envy going on. He pulls, he pulls in, he starts walking in. I start the conversation. I said, man, why don't you just share your story? And the story went like this. He said, I, I came to Christ when I was 18, and I began to follow him and sense the call to ministry. Went to Bible college, went to seminary, graduated, and went and planted a church. And after I planted the church, there was a spouse of a lady within the church who was, a, who was an atheist. And he asked me to come talk to him, and we'd go talk and have conversations. And he said, over a course of two months, my faith was rocked. He said, after six months, I could no longer, I could no longer continue in ministry. He said, so I, I gave up my faith. I gave up my call. Ended up losing my family. And ended up losing relationship with my kids. Lost my marriage. He's 50 years old. And so I just listened to his story. And then after I listened to him share, I had about eight minutes where it's like God just gave a word for him. And you could just see his heart begin to melt. And he said, he, he said I'm going to do it. He said, I'm going to do it. I said, do what? He said, I'm going to pray. He said, I haven't had a conversation like this in 20 years. He said, I haven't had a conversation like this in 20 years. I haven't prayed in 20 years, but I'm going to do, do an experiment, and I'm going to start to pray. I said, you should do that. That would be good. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, what do you do for fun? I said, I don't, I don't know. I like to, like to do CrossFit. Uh, you know how to tell if somebody does CrossFit? Don't worry about it. They'll tell you. But uh, so I was like, <laughs> I was like, I like to work out. And then he asked, he said, do you, do you play chess? I said, do I what? He said, do you play chess? And I was just honored that he thought I looked like a person who played chess. I mean, that was like really exciting for me. I said, no, I, I don't play chess. Why? And he said, well, it wouldn't matter to you because you don't play chess. But he said, I'm, I'm like a kind of big deal in chess. I'm like ranked 1700 and, uh, and play a lot of chess. I said, do you teach people how to play chess? He said, if you were going to have somebody in this whole area, if you're going to have somebody teach you how to play chess, you'd want me to teach you how to play chess. I said, can you teach me how to play chess? He said, I'd love to teach you how to play chess. So well, let me tell you a story. I said, this morning, I just threw a prayer to God and said, God, I love learning how to play chess. I said, I believe I have a good, good father that even cares about me learning how to play chess. But can I tell you what? I believe you have a good, good father who wants you to know you're in the right place seeking him right now. If it matters to you, it matters to God. 
Now, I'm not saying that it matters to God the same it matters to you. I'm just saying that it matters to him. And if you will talk with God about what matters to you, he will share with you about what matters to him. What matters to God, Mark? What mattered to me, Chess? And God and his economy will sort that out. God cares for you. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And what happens when you pray is God shares his heart and he helps you know what matters most. Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer, a great book. I want to share, I want to share a quote with you from the book. It says, prayer and only prayer restores my vision to one that more resembles God's. I awake from the blindness to see that wealth lurks as a terrible danger and not as a goal we're striving for. That value depends not on race or status, but on the image of God every person bears. That no amount of effort to improve physical beauty has much relevance for the world beyond. Prayer helps us zoom out and get that perspective. Um, we had our family Christmas pictures taken back in December, and we got the proofs back. They sent them back. And I want to show you my favorite picture of the deal, the one I thought, hey, we should use that one. Look, look up at the screen. You know why I think that's a great picture? That's a great picture of me. <laughs> I'm looking good in that picture. Let me ask you, when you look at a, when you get pictures back and you look at pictures, when you're going through Instagram and you see a picture of yourself, you get tagged in a picture, who's the first person you look at in the picture? You. You, you look at you first, and then you, and maybe you look at everybody else. Some of you have, have posted some awful pictures of your friends because they are good pictures of you. And what, what happens in life is we get so dialed in on our deal. We get so focused in on our life. We get so focused in on us, on a selfie life. And God in prayer helps us zoom out and get perspective, perspective that is bigger than the little pixels of our world. There's a much bigger thing going on. Prayer gives us perspective. It helps us see the bigger picture. And James says, you know what, you should pray because God will give you wisdom if you ask for wisdom. And wisdom is that zooming out. I was thinking God's thoughts after him. God wants to give you wisdom. But then chapter 5, he says, you should pray about everything. Let me share that scripture with you. James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Praising is a form of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some of you need healing. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So basically, James is saying, whatever's going on in your life, you should pray. And I'll tell you, for a long time, I thought that life, thought that life was this roller coaster. I thought that life was a roller coaster of, of where you have these high points and you have these low points. You have these great times and you have these bad times. You have these times where everything going good, mountaintop, and then you have the time where things are horrible and they're down here in the valley. And I thought that was how life is. And for many of us, we think of the Christian life that way until I heard something by Rick Warren. Rick Warren taught something that I thought was so insightful, so good. I want to share it with you. He said, rather than look at, look at life this way where you have good times and you have bad times, look at life, life like this. Let's better put like a railroad track. That's a railroad track, not a ladder. That's a railroad track. And he said, in life we have bad times and we have good times. And rather than happening at different times, it's going on simultaneously. And here's what he's saying, that there is always something bad going on in your life that you can work on. There's always something good going on in your life that you should thank God for. 
And, and, and when he taught this, he had just received $30 million in royalties from the purpose-driven life. And at the same time, his wife is battling cancer. Good times and bad times going on. What James is saying is if things are going good, you should pray. If things are going bad, you should pray. Regardless of what's going on in your life, you should pray. And let me show you something. When things are going bad and you pray, what happens is God gives you hope. He helps you be hopeful. When things are going good and you pray, what happens is God develops humility in you. That says humble. And God, I promise it does. That says humble. And, and what God's going to get, he wants to give you humility. He wants to give you hope. But let me show you what happens if you don't pray. If you don't pray in bad times, you will spiral off into self-pity. If you don't pray when things are good, you will spiral off into selfish pride. And so what James is saying is whatever's going on in your life, you should pray. It is what God has given you to develop Christ in you. And you should talk to God about everything because he cares for you. And you should talk to God every day because he enjoys your company. And it's amazing what prayer does in us. It's amazing what God does in our lives through prayer. My wife and I, well, she was pregnant. I was not. But my wife was pregnant with our first kid. We have four kids now. And, uh, and the first child, there's a sense that God was calling me to plant a church. And I was thinking I was going to go to Seattle. So I was filling out the paperwork to go to Seattle with the North American Mission Board. So planning to go to Seattle, and I was at Starbucks. I was into a fast. I felt like God called me to fast and pray for 40 days. I'd never fasted more than two days, and I cheat with, cheated with a cheeseburger uh, during that time. So it was like God was saying, I want you to fast and pray. And there was, was a lot online. Desperation is the language of the kingdom. So we were desperate to know what God wanted us to do. On day uh, 30 of the fast, I was at Starbucks, and I look over, and there's Pastor Kevin Myers, a senior pastor at 12 Stone. And so I look at him, and I start a conversation. In the course of conversation, he said, hey, he said, uh, we're looking for a high school pastor if you're interested. I said, I'm not interested. I'm going to be a church planner. He said, well, if you are interested, you should talk with Dan Ryland, our executive, the executive pastor. I thought that's interesting because I was listening to a John Maxwell tape the day before. And the whole tape, he's talking about a guy named Dan Ryland, who was his executive pastor at Skyline Wesleyan. And so I'm like, that's weird because I'd never heard of him before in my life. And now I heard the day before. So I, was, I thought, I'm going to call up Dan Ryland. So I give him a call. I said, Dan, I think we need to meet. He said, uh, he said well, where do you want me? And I said, no, God's moving at Starbucks. Let's meet at Starbucks. So he went to Starbucks, and he said, well, why don't you bring your resume and bring a picture of your family? So I sit down with him. I got the resume, and I got a picture of my family, just my wife and I at the time, and she makes me look really good. And so I show him the picture. He looks at the picture, looks at me, looks at the picture, looks at me. He said, wow, you've lost some weight. I was on day 30 of a fast. I was shriveled up like this, man. And so he, he looks at me, and he says, are you dieting? And I said, no. He said, are you fasting? And Jesus said, when you talk about fasting, or when you, when you fast, don't talk about it. And I'm thinking, if I tell him that I'm fasting, do I have to start over? I don't know how this is going. <laughs> And, so, and I'm not going to lie to Dan Ryland, you know. So I said, Dan, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. He said, what are you fasting for? I said, well, I'm fasting that God would prepare me to be a daddy. Because I've never done that before. And that God would prepare me to be a husband and a daddy because I've never done that before. And that God would either change me or change where I'm at. He said, Kevin, I'm just curious. What are the dates of your fast? I said, September 1 to October 10th. His jaw dropped. He said, Kevin, he said, the elders and pastors of our church are fasting and praying September 1 to October 10th for a new high school pastor. I don't know if you caught that, but they were fasting and praying the same 40 days that I was. I just jumped up and did a little herky, a little cheerleading move going on that I picked up in high school, and I was like, man, that's, that's it. But it happened through fasting and prayer. John Wesley, because I figured it'd be really good for me to quote John Wesley here, um, there's a quote. He says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. 
God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And Wesley's life demonstrated his theology, demonstrated what he believed. He got up every morning at 4 a.m. to pray until 6. For two hours he prayed. I know I said it's a guilt-free zone, but seriously, that was how he lived his life. And listen, your theology, what you believe about God, what you believe about prayer, it shows up in how you live. I know I said it was going to be a guilt-free zone. Some of you don't even know this. The four o'clock also exists on the clock early in the morning. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who love to wake up in the morning, and then there are those people who hate the people who love to wake up in the morning. I mean, there's two <laughs> kinds of people. And so what I want to do in the time we have left is I want to give you just, just three real practical things, just super practical things that you can apply to your life to help you pray more. The first one is an app that's on the iPhone. It's an app that's on the iPhone. You can actually, you got it on the iPhone, and it's going to help you with this. Um, if you want to pray more, you can use this app. It's called Power Off. You see what I just did there? Every phone has it. But I want to tell you, you're going to, if you power down, you power up. Power down to power up. See, it used to be that people would pray in the morning. They'd pray in the morning. They'd go, you know, pray to God. And then before they went to bed, they'd pray to God. But now I'm finding the first thing I do is start going through my Instagram in the morning. Start going through my Twitter feed. And the last thing I do at night is I go through my emails. And so what I do now is I power down to power up. And so the way I do that in my life is I've got a green chair that I go to. And I've struggled with this for most of my life until Dan Ryland told me, he said, Kevin, you need to just pick a time and pick a place. And so I got a time and it's before the kids are up. And I got a place, it's a green chair. And I sit in that chair, and the first thing I do, and some of you may really struggle with this. Let me just give you, try to be helpful. First thing I do is I, I have first and ten. I'm a football guy, first and ten. First thing I do is list ten things that I'm grateful for, and I just give thanks to God. And I look back over game film the day before, and then I just begin to talk with God about the worries and anxieties and things that are going on in my life. It's helped me immensely. If you want to grow in this, you pick a time and you pick a place. And that's how you develop a history with God. You can get a great education. You can get a theology degree. But the one thing that Indiana Wesleyan can't give you, and you've got to go get it yourself, is a history with God. You're responsible for your history with God. Second thing that James says is invite others in. Invite others in. Here's what I mean by that. He says, I want you to get some godly people around you and pray for you. It takes humility to ask other people to pray. It takes humility to confess to other people and ask them to pray. It takes humility to invite other people into your struggle and to ask them to pray. I wonder what miracles and what breakthroughs you are forfeiting in your own life because of selfish pride and spiritual pride that won't invite somebody else in to pray for you. Oh, what God would have for you, but it involves humbling yourself and inviting others into your suffering, others into your struggle, others into your pain. There's addiction in this room that God would break through if you would go get some godly people around you and he would say, pray for me. That's what James says, you'll be healed. You can have breakthrough. But you've got to invite others in. And then the third thing is host the dove. Host the dove. You're like, where did that, where did that come from? Well, I was reading through, um, that, I was sitting in the green chair reading through about Jesus' baptism and about the dove coming home. I thought, man, that's awesome. What would it be like to have a dove on your shoulder? And then I went for a run in the park two days later. And when I got to the park, I want to show you what I saw. Put a picture up on the screen. I saw a dove. I'd never seen a dove before like that. Blew my mind. I know some of you are sitting there going, you got that all Google Images. No, let me show you what I, another picture. I took a selfie with a dove. <laughs> Just because I knew you would say that. I knew you would say that. And I thought, man, this would be cool to catch that dove and, like, put him on my shoulder. I thought, that would be awesome. And so I chased the dove, and I couldn't, couldn't catch the dove. It's tough to catch a dove. 
It's a skittish bird. It's a wild bird. <laughs> but then I began to, on the run that day, I began to imagine what would happen if that dove landed on my shoulder? What would happen if a dove landed on your shoulder? How would you walk? I'll tell you how you'd walk very carefully. If you didn't want the dove to leave, you would walk very carefully. When you realize that you carry the presence of God, you begin to walk carefully. See, you must adjust to the dove. The dove won't adjust to you. Host the dove in your life. Cultivate an awareness of God's presence every single day. And see, learning to, play, learning to pray is like learning to play chess. Mark's been teaching me how to play chess. I'm no chess master yet, but I can beat my eight-year-old son. <laughs> we pick a time, we pick a place, and he teaches me. And the first thing he says when we sit down, he says, you lose the, you lose the king, you lose the game. You lose the king, you lose the game. Reminds me of a story Bishop Kenneth Olmer tells about two men that went into a museum, art museum. And they were looking at a painting, and one man looked at the painting, and he said, something's wrong here. The other man said, what? He said, well, I'm an international chess champion. They would look at this painting. There were two men playing chess, and, and one looked like Satan, and one looked like a man that was clearly distraught, and he was down to one last piece, and the painting was called Checkmate. And so they're looking at this painting, and he says, Something, something's wrong here. He said, I'm going to study this for a little while, but I want you to go walk off, and then you can come back a little bit later on. He's looking at the painting, and he's doing the moves with his moves with his hand. Finally, the other guy came back, and he said, what's the deal? He said, well, I'm an international chess champion. I've been studying this painting. We must find the artist who painted this painting because we either got to change the painting or change the name. We got to change the painting or change the name. He said, what do you mean we got to change the painting? What do you mean we got to change the name? He said, I've been studying this painting, and I am an international chess champion, and I'm telling you we got we to change it because the king still has one more move. It's not checkmate. The king has one more move. And David, when he stood before Goliath, and, and all the world thought, I mean, he wasn't even big enough to wear the armor, and they thought, man, you're going down, but let me tell you something, the kings still have one more move. And Moses stood before the Red Sea with the army of Pharaoh behind him, ready to take him out, and the people following him, and it looked like all hope was gone, but let me tell you something, the kings still have one more move. And Daniel, when his life was on the line, he was going to be fed to the lions, thought it was all over because he would not give up prayer. The kings still have one more move. And Jesus, when they beat him down and then they raised him up on a tree and nailed him on a cross and then took his body down like they took down every other body before and they threw it in a tomb just like, just like they threw every other body in a tomb. But after three days, he got up and he walked out. I don't know if you know it, but he walked out. Why? Because the king still had one more move. And I don't know what you're going on. Yeah, you Give God glory. Come on. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what, what is going on in your life right now. I don't know all that you're dealing with and the chaos and the confusion and the trials and the bad stuff. I don't know, but, but let me tell you something. God knows and he cares for you and he wants you to know today, this morning, that the king still has one more move. So you should talk to him every day because he enjoys your company. And you should talk with him about everything because he cares for you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you are that perfect, that present, and personal Father. And you know us. You know our hearts. You know our fears. And you know how we struggle with this. And God, there's just a sense this morning that you were drawing us to yourself, that you want to teach us how to pray. 
And if that's, that's your heart, God, I, I just ask that you, would, that you would speak to hearts across this room, that you would tell students, if they're open, if they create some space, some time, that you would tell them how you feel about them. If people want to know this morning, maybe you just want to whisper that prayer. God, would you teach me how to pray? Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? And God, um, I pray that as, as we move forward in our lives, God, that we wouldn't be so busy in the counting and the doing and the writing and the research, all the stuff, God, that we miss the awareness of your presence. That there are things you want to say to us. That there are things you want to do in our lives. Because you love us. Because you enjoy our company. And because you care for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.